0: Good morning. It is a good morning. It's a beautiful morning. I hope that's the right button because there is, it's been worn off. I'm gonna guess that's the right button. How is everyone? Well good. That was that was great. So this morning I'm gonna talk about pivoting. Pivot. Uh, sometimes in life we may be headed in one direction, even doing something inherently difficult, when suddenly life throws a curveball and we are forced to make a decision. So this reminds me of the Friends episode, obviously, where we have Chandler and uh, Rachel and uh, and uh, Ross there trying to get a, a couch up the stairs to his new apartment, and uh, they're having some troubles. And of course, Ra- Ross there which is it's kind of like life sometimes screams, pivot, and then sometimes, you know, you know that, that's great, but sometimes our flesh kind of rises up and, and reacts like Chandler was like, just shove, shove, shove. So um, it isn't always the easiest thing to do is pivoting in life, um, so we're going to talk a lot about that today. Uh, Janet Erickson is uh, someone who wrote uh, some things on this, and I'm going to read fr- uh, some excerpts from her here. She's a, a, a blogger and an author, I believe. A uh, pivot or a turning point is when a story is moving clearly in one direction, and then the story does an about-face and moves in a different direction. In the Bible, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus would be the major example of a turning point. The long-awaited Messiah King dies, and then Jesus, who died, is now risen from the dead. In Matthew 27 through 28 there, which is the story of post-crucifixion and resurrection, there's a turning point in this passage in verse 28, 6. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Uh, When the angel notifies the woman the women that Jesus is not in the tomb because he has risen the material leading up to this turning point in the scripture here focuses on the burial of Jesus including the care of Joseph the vigilance of the women and the suspicions of the chief priests along with their effort to prevent something from happening there's another excerpt I'd like to read here it's from Kitty Kibb on Mary Magdalene kind of dives a little bit deeper down into it here and she's an author as well she goes on to say she allowed her dreams to change and develop in God's time. We see this most clearly when she goes to the tomb and finds it empty. While each of the Gospels tells a story in a different way, Mary goes to the tomb expecting to mourn the loss of her beloved teacher. She is able to make it to the tomb as soon as the sun rises on what we now call Easter morning. In two accounts, she comes burdened with spices and oils to tend Jesus' body. She's weighed down with grief. As soon as she discovers the tomb's empty, she pivots. She realizes that something big has happened, which she does not yet understand, and she must let go of what she thought she was supposed to do. Now is the time for her to step into a bigger role. She takes off running, which must have been difficult in her dress and sandals, making me think she was focused on her new vision, not her personal comfort or society's expectations. This one's important here. In pivoting... She lets go of her old reality in favor of a new dream. In Pivoting, she lets go of her old reality in favor of a new dream. She runs towards change and not away from it. She faces her fear head on and is now recognized as an apostle to the apostles. She becomes the one to whom Jesus first appeared. After the turning point, the material moves in a different direction. In reaction to the resurrection event, the women are sent to alert the disciples on the way they encounter the risen Jesus. The priests now have to spread misinformation and lies. Jesus has all authority, and the disciples are commissioned to spread his baptism and teaching. Another account here is in Genesis 2 through 4, the story of Adam and Eve, the fall And Cain and Abel. There's lots of pivoting going on in there. The passage includes a turning point in verse 3 6, a major turning point for all of us, really. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Up until that point, mankind is living as God had intended. After that point, they are living in rebellion against God. Everything changes. What follows after that turning point is a series of problems in which things unravel. Knowledge, curses, banishment, enmity, strife, anger, murder, deceit, and punishment. So that's more of a pivoting that had to do with sin. So there's lots of different reasons for pivoting in our lives. This one is specifically about sin. In Psalm 118, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord, on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, noticed repetition regarding the truths about who God really is. We're going to read this whole thing here because it's beautiful. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. That's four times there. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. And then he escalates it here. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to put trust in princes. So it really doesn't matter. Any man doesn't matter. All nations surrounded me in the name of the Lord. I cut them off. They surrounded me. They surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off three times. I pushed hard so that I was falling. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Two X there. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord had disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you answered me and became my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. There's a prophetic about Jesus hundreds of years before it happened. This is the Lord's doing in the marvelous. marvelous, It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. It's okay to ask for success. Blessed is the man who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And that's the fifth time. She goes on to say, verse 19, open me to the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord, sets up a clear turning point in the psalm. It is not so much a turning point of realization as of directed action. This is a Thanksgiving psalm, in that the psalmist has already made it through the dangerous time on which he reflects. He has already experienced God's deliverance on some level, but in verse 19, the psalmist sets up and opens a new direction of response. He is no longer looking back on his previous struggles. He is stepping into the reality that God has made available to him through saving and delivering him. And he distinctly invites the reader to come with him as he prays on behalf of them. This pivot has the effect of transforming the battlefield into the place of God's presence. I'm going to say that again. This pivot has the effect of transforming the battlefield into the place of God's presence. It distinctly models... The action of thanksgiving and praise called for in the opening and closing of the psalm, and it picks up the theme of righteousness and invites the reader to consider, at a deeper level, the relationship between God's deliverance and righteousness. So, other biblical characters who found themselves having to pivot. When pivoting looks the most black and white, Job comes to my mind. One day he's full of every good thing we could think of, and the next day, completely out of nowhere, the enemy begins to steal nearly every good thing from him. Job had to pivot in praising and worshiping God from the place of affluence to praising and worshiping God from the gutter. In this lesson, the heart is the real make or break, as as BJ had talked about before, where does your true allegiance lie? Job's true allegiance was clear, and he ended up with a double portion of everything which had been stolen from him. So Job's story is truly one of building your house before the storm instead of during it. Uh, Interesting side note, uh, I was listening to Derek Prince, as I do pretty much every day, and he mentioned Job's double portion as an excerpt from his book, Secrets of a Prayer Warrior, while he was encouraging uh, his listeners to pray for their families, which is something Bree and I have recently uh, taken on trying to do every week. Um, together, so in in uh, in Secrets of a Prayer Warrior, in Derek Prince's book, he says, Job forty two twelve through thirteen. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning, for he had fourteen thousand sheep. Previously, he had seven, six thousand camels. Previously, he had three, one thousand yoke of oxen. Previously, five, and one thousand female donkeys. Previously, he had five hundred. He also had seven sons and three daughters. God did not double the sons and daughters. However, he gave Job the same number. So Derek Prince goes on to say and ask, uh, what's the message? And uh, um, in, his, in his outlook here, it's that Job had not lost his previous sons and daughters. That they had gone before him. Uh, if you have ever lost a loved one or are going to lose a loved one, just bear in mind that Job's sacrifices prevailed for his sons and daughters. God did not have to double the numbers because they were still in the, there in the eternal. Uh, and obviously, our sacrifice is different from Job's. Ours are prayer and fasting uh, because the required one-time sacrifice that saves for all time was fulfilled by God himself through Jesus Christ. So, as I have been thinking a lot about this lately, about pivoting, about course changes in life, abrupt course changes, sometimes... I've been really focused on recent times where I've had to pivot in my life, sometimes even dipping into the past. I understand the major turning points well enough. At one point, we're not living for God. Then, much like he did to Paul, he pivots you, and suddenly you find yourself in a completely different line of ancestry and a completely different worldview, and God begins to bring you up in the way that you should go. When it comes to this subject, though, what has tripped me up the most are the pivots which are contained within what I have heard God directly say for me to do. There are a couple of very good biblical examples of this found in the stories of Joseph and of David. In Genesis 37, Joseph begins his story. We find him in his late teens, surrounded by brothers from other mothers. As the apple of his natural father's eye, his natural father gives him a beautiful coat and his heavenly father gives Joseph these amazing dreams full of vivid imagery fortified by double confirmations regarding the destiny that the Lord had for Joseph. Dreams of Joseph becoming a great leader, even to the point of his own family bowing down to him. The next thing he knows, he's betrayed by those who were supposed to be closest to him and goes from being the shiniest trophy in his father's house in his home country, to a simple slave in the house of a stranger in a faraway land. Joseph had to pivot. He had to take a hold of what he knew to be true and not let go in the face of every natural thing being against him. It took nearly 20 years for the natural to catch up to the dreams given by the Lord. 20 years. David is another example with a very familiar story. At even a younger age than Joseph, David finds himself as the proverbial run to the litter. At this stage of his life, the priest Samuel anoints him as king, but David wasn't carried into the palace that day. He went back into the fields, and he continued to be a simple shepherd boy, and I do mean boy because he was about 15 years old. Through the next couple of decades, David went through many challenges before we finally read in 2 Samuel 7.1, that the Lord had given him rest on every side from all of his enemies. So the more I was thinking about this, a couple of things came to mind and stuck out to me. And I guess they're kind of like construction analogies or something like that. I don't know why it was construction analogies. But before a renovation, there was normally a plan. And usually where there is a restructuring, there must first be a destructuring. In my own personal life and experience while walking with God, I find myself time and time again, assuming something was going to work out one way, only to find out that my assumptions were nowhere close to the way God was going to work those things out. I usually see a journey as a from point A to point B, but there are times where it seems that God, being filled with his perfect wisdom and foreknowledge and understanding makes it more of a from point a to point z type of trip and sometimes he makes sure to hit all 24 stops along the way i have often found myself at the end of my rope in these instances but i truly believe that's exactly the point to reach the end of ourselves so that god can finish the work in us which he began his way which is the best way growing up with the wonderful and merciful advantage of being in the church, I find myself at 14 with a prophecy over my life, which stated that I had a calling, but I would go through some tough times for us. So unlike Joseph and David, at least I had a warning. So at that point, my story pivots, and I begin to base my entire existence on what God is going to have me do. The whole time I'm growing up, And over the course of the next two plus decades, I wait for the thing to take place. Whatever that thing was, I thought it could be this thing, I thought it could be that thing. Delusions of grandeur even work their way in there at certain points. Over the course of time, as God continued to work me out of me, I slowly realized that his thoughts are not my thoughts and his ways are not my ways and that his ways are truly and infinitely higher than mine which is totally scriptural in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 there. So we fast forward a bit to my mid-twenties. Shortly after getting my life together, I finally land this great job. It's the first great job I ever had up until that point. Great money and lots of travel. I ended up meeting this Midwestern beauty during my travels, and God ends up instructing me to marry her. I immediately said yes to the Lord, but I had my reservations, which needed to be worked out of me. But I'm a free agent now, God. I'm finally my own man. And besides, I've had my heart broken too many times to give this type of thing a shot. Again. As time went on, I began to veer from God's path for this period and went on a paper chase with that job that I had. Even after God made it perfectly clear that I was to stay put in Missouri with Bree. This was to be my Jonah story as I disobeyed God and ended up a quarter of the way across the country with a malfunctioning vehicle in a snowstorm in the mountains of West Virginia losing my job on a technicality and my finances ground down to only $300 to my name. After coming back to Missouri with my tail between my legs the very next morning God opened up a local job for me which was one that I had applied for a few weeks before that. On top of my assumptions about work, I owned a mindset which was oversaturated with all the hopeless romance that movies could inject. I thought, hoped, dreamed that things could or even should work out a certain way, only to find out that in many ways I had another thing coming, and that is called reality, by the way. Turns out balancing marriage, children, survival, sane-sane can be quite challenging. Through all of it, though, I have watched God work things out of me that possibly never would have been worked out of me if I had not said yes to God instead of saying yes to myself. I can now say that in my own eyes, I'm truly the proverbial luckiest man on earth. And by the way, happy birthday to my Midwestern beauty, which she's not in here. There she is. Happy birthday to you. Moving ahead, we found ourselves moving back to Michigan, a place where I really did not desire to be anymore, So I grew up here, downstate, Uh, though it was only temporary as far as I was concerned, only to have to pivot once again when the Lord made it perfectly clear that this is where he wanted us to stay. Eventually, we get to a point where we are finding some success in family finances and relationships. And then out of nowhere, I feel the Lord is telling me to start a new business. Most of my life, I had small side businesses and other little ventures, but nothing that I ever saw massive potential in. I finally felt like the time had come to be able to move away from the dreaded nine to five and become that free agent once again. And I even had a triple confirmation on it. And it was something that I really actually enjoyed doing. Like It it brought life into my life kind of thing. After many evenings of hard work and a whole lot of risk, which I hate risk, there was evidence of success, but it was short-lived. I just couldn't understand. I would think, you told me to do this. Why are things working out this way? The thing of it is, through situations like these, character and faith come into full view. They are oppressed, shaken, tossed about, tested, and for those of us who choose to stick it out, eventually perfected. Coming out of my youth, after getting over my phases of extreme laziness and hopelessness all drugs and partying and everything that I used to do, I eventually became something of a driven person. I found myself asking God for things that I'm not sure my younger self would have asked for. Around the time of that last business venture, I had been asking God to reprogram my mind to rewire me to be more like him. I had been... I'm sorry. I tell you the truth. That while I laid prostrate on the floor of my closet, sobbing like I had never sobbed before because I just didn't understand what was happening to the promises which I thought God had made to me, and I know this sounds ridiculous, But the the only way I can describe it is that I, I literally, like physically, could almost physically feel my brain changing in real time. Something amazing was happening, and I can honestly say that during those two tiny months of agony, the Lord cemented in me a full decade's worth of maturing. It was such a traumatic time that I'm just now really starting to heal, and that was about two years ago. So now that we're on the other side of the episode, I can clearly see that not only did God restore everything that was lost in the natural during that time, but the restoration has been with multiples and dividends. I'm closer to Him than I ever imagined I could be. I ended up with a big promotion at my 9 to 5, which was another massive point of pivoting, but now I'm doing something that I enjoy much more than I was doing before. And as well as I have a settled hope and a peace that what He told me to do is still yet to be fully realized. Another thing I have made it a point of asking for from God is for him not to give me anything that would come between him and I. So I firmly believe that these times of preparation are integral to the building of the firm foundation upon which the Lord can and will build exactly what he has spoken into existence over us since before the foundations of the world. And I know that's a long sentence, I'm going to say it again because it's important. I firmly believe that these times of preparation are integral to the building of the firm foundation upon which the Lord can and will build exactly what he has spoken to existence over us since before the foundations of the world. So the question remains, are we going to pivot? The most recent pivotal experience the Lord has brought me through pertains, well, us through actually, pertains to the vehicular side of life. I am the kind of person that hates debt. I don't like it. I don't want it. I don't want anything to do with it. I don't think it's wrong, but unless it can't be avoided, like buying a first home or something like that, I think it's kind of dumb. I just don't like it. It is also about risk mitigation. Up until this point in my life, I had never had a car payment. All cash, all the time. Last year, Bree and I felt like it was time to start moving up in vehicles, because we usually buy old vehicles, with cash. With the understanding that there is still risk in purchasing used vehicles because they need to run correctly and stay sellable, Bree took a less than desirable job to earn some extra cash, and we saved and bought a nice, gently used 13-year-old vehicle, which all our vehicles were usually pushing their teens, but uh, this time it was fully loaded, so it was a little nicer than usual. We had hopes of paying ourselves a monthly car payment and then selling and upgrading our vehicles every one year or two years, something like that. And we would finally end up with a late model vehicle, which we could rub with a diaper and call our own, which is a Ferris Bueller reference, if you didn't get that there. It's a great scene when Ferris was scheming on camera's dad's car. We felt God was in the plan and that He routed us to the vehicle, so we moved ahead. Things were great for about six months. Beginning March of this year and lasting all summer, the vehicle began to royally screw up, and no one could seem to fix it. After losing roughly another 37% of the original cost of the vehicle to repairs, which didn't repair it, and losing nearly 100% of our minds, we finally bit the bullet and went to the closest thing to hell on earth, which I could think of, which is a car dealership. I was in such a foul mood that day that I nearly ruined the entire experience. I acted like a big, fat baby. And it was because God was using this situation to mature some other infantile sections of my life and work more of me out of me. In effect, what happened was God used this situation to shake me awake because I had been drifting for a long time. I had been really feeling like I had no direction, even with the blessings God had given to us, and I had been losing steam. Once again, the Lord had used another crazy situation, one in which I had to do something I swore I would never do, to cause me to pivot and to bring me to a new level of hope and reliance on Him, and set us up on an upgraded, firmer version of the direction we had previously been on. And the bonus is we're really enjoying and very thankful for our van. So, if we dwell in the shelter of the Most High... We have encouragement in the Lord. Whatever the situation may be, God cares deeply about every teeny tiny thing in your life. Every part of your existence He cares for. He knows about down to the number of hairs on your head, which is zero for me. So that must be easy for Him. But for you guys, looking like you got some good heads of hair out there. He knows exactly what He's doing, so we can totally and completely trust Him. Even if you're in situations where you might not be getting the job that we thought we weren't supposed to get, you know. Or we expected to be further ahead in life by now. But despite working hard and smart and trying our best, things just look and feel a little differently than we think that they should. Or maybe sometimes it's the betrayal of our family and friends that we're supposed to be able to trust and rely on. Or the loss of things that we worked hard for. Or maybe we expected to have another 10 years with a loved one only to find out that they just have a few days left before it's time for them to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And that one hurts because I really miss my mom. The word of the Lord spoken into our lives may be ending up working out drastically differently from the superstructure which our assumptions had constructed. All these things are in in God's hands for those who love him. And who make Him their shelter. And who work their daily lives out with Him. Because that's what it's all about. It's all about the character. It's not necessarily about the things in life. But God cares about those things. But what those things are, are secondary and tertiary. And on down the line, the first primary thing that God cares about is your heart. Who you are in Him. Your faith. Your character. Those are the things that are going to echo into eternity. And right now is the kind of probing ground where he's going to work things out of us that we don't need to be there in his loving care and compassion. And he does it so well. So we can totally trust him in all these times of pivoting and having to make decisions that we maybe necessarily didn't want to make or expectations that we had that just didn't work out. It's all okay if we just keep on his path. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray over everyone here. Um, And whatever you're going through, I just encourage you to pray with me. Give it up to the Lord. Ask him what his will is in those situations. Let it go to him. Let him do what he's going to do with it, even if it hurts. Lord, we love you. We know that you are good, that your foreknowledge is perfect. You know the beginning, the middle, and the end. You know the whole story. You wrote the whole story. And it's a good story. It's a very good story. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for being so intimately close with your creation, for caring so deeply about us that you would allow yourself to be murdered on our behalf, and that you would rise again against that spirit of death in Feed it into the ground. You would annihilate it, and that's what you did for us. So, right now, I just pray a spirit of peace over all of us here in the name of Jesus, Lord. I pray for a spirit of victory, Lord. I pray for a spirit of resuscitation, a spirit of power and of might to just come into us, Lord. All the good things that you have for us I just speak those over all of us here Myself included Over all the churches everywhere in the world That are meeting right now Over all of our fellow believers Over everyone who is to come to you We just pray for salvation For this entire world And we ask Lord God For those that don't have any hope To find you And to have the hope that we have And for those of us Who have that hope and just don't quite get exactly what we have. Because I know I don't fully get it. Open our eyes to these things. Work us out of ourselves. And have your way with us. Because your way is good. And you are trustworthy. And you are love. Thank you Lord Jesus. We love you so much.